Um, and I think with your awards, it definitely lent credibility to our story because there are a lot of startups, but there's very few who are recognized as being the best. Um, and, and that really matters. And so culturally then, to go back to the thing around linked to commercial upside, culturally, you know, for me, a business is just people. Uh, and it's the culture yeah. that makes the business successful because it, every you know there's other companies that do lead gen, demand gen, and etc. like that. But but nobody can copy our culture. How's it, guys? So today I'm joined by Ralph Fletcher. He is the CEO of Topco Media. They put on a range of world class events right across Africa. One of those events is Africa Tech Week, and that is where the story begins. Ralph and I connected when my company, Digital Kung Fu, won the Best Tech Startup in Africa Award at the inaugural event at Africa Tech Week. Africa Tech Week play a very important role in the startup ecosystem of South Africa and Africa in general because they connect VCs, the private sector, government, and the startup community together under the banner of Africa Tech Week. But in a world dominated by COVID-19, the question really becomes, what is going to be the impact of COVID-19 on the events industry, on the startup ecosystem of South Africa, and more broadly, the private sector around the world? Ralph is expertly positioned to provide a view on that, and we dive deep into the impact of COVID-19 on the private sector. But more importantly, what are some of the opportunities that have come about as a result? If you're an entrepreneur or business leader right now, you'll thoroughly enjoy this show as we go deep into the commercial upsides of a business environment that's dominated by COVID-19. So without further ado, into Ralph Fletcher. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the lockdown edition of the Map Round Show. We are coming at you live on uh, the Zoomage. <laughs> Today, thanks to COVID-19, uh, but with me on the line, I'm very uh, grateful to have with me is uh, Rolf Fletcher. Rolf, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to be here. I'm in self-quarantine and lockdown all at once. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's, uh, it's me too on my microphone. The whole, the whole home studio thing is not quite the same kind of production level as one would hope, you know? We're getting there, though. I must just not touch things, apparently. Oh, well. <laughs> just got to make sure the content's good, right? Yeah, well, exactly. No pressure then. Uh, I was saying we had Sean Thompson on the show <laughs> yesterday, so living legend in the surfing world. So. He's a legend for sure, yeah. But you, are, you sir, are a bit of a legend. Um, sort of backstory here is uh, when we won um, Africa's Best Tech Startup. Um, it's when we met. Um, and uh, it was at Africa Tech Week, and that is your baby. You are the CEO of uh, Topco Media, and you're doing many, many other things. You're a triathlete yeah. um, and uh, yeah. just much better looking than me. So congratulations. You're lying there, but uh, <laughs> true about the rest. <laughs> so, Rolf, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We've got nothing really specific to go through, but um, but uh, why don't you take us back to the beginning? I mean, you're obviously from uh, the bright lights of England, and um, and somehow you've built a, an incredible tech-focused platform here in in Africa. So, how did that all come about? So, actually, I'm not from England. 
Are you not? The accent gives it away. No. So I saw that you're one of your last guests was a, a Kiwi, but I was actually born in New Zealand. No, you weren't. In really? Auckland, Takapuna. You didn't tell yeah, me that. I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Okay. Yeah, no. Well, I'll, oh, I I'll got that wrong. The show. Oh, dear. We should redo the whole thing. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. Um, so, yeah, I was born in New Zealand. And so my dad is one of those crazy entrepreneurs um and so he sort of at the age of about 18 19 he backpacked through the whole of africa um this is sort of 50 years ago when there wasn't too much happening and he landed up in south africa and he met my mum and they got married and they sort of went to new zealand um and yeah, me and my brother were born there. And then we went back to South Africa. My other brother was born there. And then we went, where did we go then after that? So we went, we went to Australia and then in, to the UK. So by the time I was sort of five years old, landing up in the UK, I'd had quite a, a upbringing. Um, and yeah, and I think my dad was one of those guys who would, he would, you know, the sort of stuff he would do, he would go to New Zealand from South Africa and he would, he would set up ads in the local newspaper. So when he arrived in New Zealand, he already had people phoning him up for work. Um, he, he was a fearless entrepreneur. So I, I had that upbringing. Um, and obviously moving countries and different cultures was also really, uh, I suppose, you know, you learn a lot because you, you're leaving good friends behind and you're going to a new place and you're learning how to adapt and and sort of, you know, make new friends in different countries all over again. So I think we're a tight unit as a family. Um, but I did spend a lot of time in England. So from the age of like sort of five to ten, uh, I grew up there. And then we went back to New Zealand for like a year and a half. I think it was a bit too boring for my parents. So we went back to England. I went to boarding school. I think I told you this story. Mm. So at about 11 years old, I went to boarding school. And um, and being tight and traveling around the world, it was it was one of those things where after about three weeks, I figured I didn't really like it like I should. And we went for an outing to the Ipswich Baths. And um, so I, I sort of figured out, like, I'm going to run away and I want to get back home. And I remember it was so. So we all, like a whole busload of us went there, and we sort of um, everybody's piling in, and I sort of scratching around my bag, acting like there's a something I'm looking for. And then as everybody goes in, I, I walk out, and I and it's almost like uh, I didn't know where to go. I hadn't been to Ipswich really, and I and I was 11 years old. I had 37 pence in my pocket. Did I tell you this story or not? Uh, no. the, the boarding ball. The boarding. School story, I think, school. but the detail matters. Yeah, carry on. Um, and so um, I had a jersey on and a, and a shirt, and it was snowing. And um, so I actually went, I made my way to the train station, and I, and I thought, well, if I get to the train station, I can get the train from Ipswich to London, and then I know how to get home from London to Burnham on Crouch, which is where we live. And so I went to the train station. I sort of worked out fairly quickly that I didn't have enough money and the conductor was probably going to catch me out and either arrest me or send me back. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. He, he, can you? Yeah. So, um, so I thought, well, let me, the, 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 the next scenario is let me run. So I was, I was going to 
so, so I, I had like 37 pence. So I, was, I worked out that there's a thing called Little Chef um, on the highways. And, and so I was going to sort of go in there and go to the bathroom and then, you know, um, eat the sweets to get home sort of thing. So anyway, I'm, I'm making my way on the highway and, and it's snowing. And so I, I just get off the highway slightly and I get on to the, the side there by the fields and I'm running along. And um, I, I must have got about 10 miles, 20 miles. And a lady stops um, next to the highway. And um, she offers to take me home, which I lived about 160 miles away. And there was no phones in those days. And um, she was actually a school teacher. And she, and she, she does a long drive. And I think she lived quite far out the way, but she actually drove me all the way home. It took her about two hours. And um, I, got, I got home eventually. And uh, yeah, I went... And I sort of thought my parents were going to be happy to see me. Um, but in fact, they were quite the opposite. My dad was really upset. Um, and I suppose um, I got sent back the very next day. Um, and, and I think that that was a big uh, moment in my life, actually, because I think in that moment there, um, I ran most of the time that I ran away on the highway and I went back to school the next week and we, we had the, the Suffolk County cross country trials and I came second in the whole of Suffolk for cross country. Uh, and I suppose that started up my, my love of running, but also I think it, it gave me that confidence as well to, you know, I think I was the first person to ever get home from boarding school. So it was that sort of rebelliousness that, um, you know, not fitting in type of mentality, but also that that determination that, you know, if I was going to get home, I'm going to get bloody home, no matter what the situation. So that was my sort of upbringing. And then when I was about 15, we moved to, I actually remember my dad saying to me, one day, you know, I said, I don't like this boarding school stuff. He said, one day you'll thank me for this. And um, it's true. One day I did thank him for it. Um, I did appreciate it in the end, but at the time it was... It was not the greatest thing. So, so then we far, moved to South Africa when I was about 15. How far did you run that day when you decided to? I think, I think it was about 15 to 20 miles. Okay. In so school, run, walk. In school gear. In, in school gear, yeah. Well, it wasn't school gear because it, was it was a Sunday. So you're allowed uh. to wear a jersey and a shirt and a pair of pants. But it wasn't sort of jeans and a t-shirt, no. All right. So you came back to South Africa? So we came back to South Africa and I went to Weinberg, which you also went to, right? Yes, that's right. So, and so, you know, I did my, my time there and then I actually went back to England before I finished my trick and I lived, um, we lived in Bath, we went to move to Bath and, and, and my dad through our time had money and then no money. So we had like, you know, Porsches and Rolls Royces and Jags and you know houses all over the world to really then he lost everything several times um i think it was the nature of the entrepreneurship and so you you know it's like famine to feast type scenario and so it's quite a big experience moving countries and and being fairly wealthy and then having really nothing and so we went back to england and um you know i i left weinberg to go back there and on the and i think my mum's father passed away and he'd lost everything really and so it was cold in England it was going through a recession 
And then on the way home one day, my, my brother and I were walking across the field and he, and he it's typical of him, he found a ring in the field and he, he picked it up and he took it home and my mum had it valued. She went to the pawn shop and it was worth actually a, a lot of money. And so they, they sold the ring and they bought, it was myself, my brother, my sister, my parents. My other brother was living in Essex and they bought tickets to go back to South Africa, but they only had money for four people. So it was my mum, my dad, my sister, and my brother went, and I stayed in England. Ouch. Um, and I think, yeah, that was a tough, tough moment. So within like a couple of days, my dad set me up to stay at Bath University. I had no money. Um, well, we had no money. And suddenly I was there alone again. And I had to make it work and make the best out of that situation. So, again, these these moments where you sort of – some challenges in life that you you find yourself. Um, and so I got working for GAF on the weekend and studied and had good fun. But um, you, you sort of grow up very quickly in those moments. Mm. So then I actually came back to South Africa about a year and a half later. And I've got a job working for Hilton Arena Aka Joe. And I studied at the same time doing a marketing degree. And my dad had a business that he'd set up in, in England, which is called Orange Mountain Media here, which was selling advertising in Pick and Pay and, and ShopRite. And so, you know, I was looking to join him. My brother did. And, and I decided not to. I worked for a guy called Marcel Joubert, who ran Aka Joe, Jenny Button brand. And I worked for him for about four years. And then I joined my dad about four years later. Um, when he set up Topco. So, and, and essentially he set up Topco. He went to the UK and the guys there were saying, South Africa just opened up. And they're saying, listen, we want to do business with South Africa. We want to, um, we, you know, there's people we want to do business with, but we don't know who to do business with. You don't know who the top companies are there. We don't know who to trust. And we don't know too much about what's happening in South Africa. So he came back and he, he worked with Westco to set up a top 300 Western Cape companies. And so from more or less then, that's more or less when I joined the business from a fairly early time. Um, and I'd come from retail. I'd been working in retail and suddenly I'd been pushed into this publishing arena where within being there about a month, he said to me, listen, you're going to go up to Joburg, move up to Joburg, and you're going to set up the Joburg office and recruit and train these guys on media sales. And I was, I was well, how old are I was 24 and 23, and I, I, had, I didn't have a clue about what media sales was. And then I was recruiting guys in their 50s, 60s, and teaching them something I had no real idea of, of how it worked. Wow. Um, so that was how I got into the business. Okay. Um, and, so, yeah. Yeah, so where does the, where does the um, I, 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 like I get the, the kind of, um, you know, let's give great brands sort of great market exposure. Um, and, um, but where did the Africa Tech Week story start? And, you know, is technology um, a key focus for, for you as a company? Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah. So I think going back about five or six years, six, seven years, what happened is that we actually, um, it's about seven years now. So we brought my father out of the business. Um, we were going through a very tough time. And and so myself, my brother, my sister, and my wife um, brought him out. And at that moment, I remember really clearly. So when I was really young, probably five or six, I was like, my goal is to be an entrepreneur. I always dreamed about being an entrepreneur. Um, and my dad's like a fuller than my personality. So, so growing up, I was actually wanting to be an entrepreneur, but scared I wouldn't be a good entrepreneur because knowing how good my dad was with ideas, but also how often the businesses would fail, it wouldn't work. And then, you know, and so I thought, shit, I'm, how am I ever going to come up with all these ideas that he's got? And so I remember when we did, when we brought him out, um, many of the, the best staff actually left at the time. Um, and, and it was like not really a good uh, boost of confidence for me. And But I remember thinking, geez, I don't know how to handle a lot of these issues. And at the same time, if I try and replicate who he is and what he's doing, I'm in, I'm in big trouble. Yeah. Right. So I knew I had to be my own person. I knew I had to find my own path. And so I started reading a lot and I started trying to find out who I was and, and try and be authentic to me. And, and um, I was inspired by him, but not to, you know, not to try and replicate what he had done. I didn't think that was going to work for me. Um, and so in that, I realized that um, quite often he, he was really good with coming up with ideas and he's, you know, he's got a very good way about that. And, and I think my approach was slightly differently. I, was, I, I found that my niche was collaborating with people mm. um, and, and more understanding where they saw opportunities. And so I think, you know, what, what then happened is that a number of our award programs in things like the National Business Awards, the, the Top Woman Awards, and Empowerment Awards, what we saw was this overwhelming sort of theme of, um, it, you know, organizations were sort of known as, you know, we're good at marketing or we're good at logistics, or we're good at innovation. And I think what, what suddenly came across is that it was a, uh, a, a new perception that it actually wasn't about the company. It was about the people. And what we saw was a lot of the people who were winning awards was around the fact that they had big people programs getting the best talent. And you, you know, those people, those, that talented team, able to deliver this innovation and deliver the change that was needed for these organizations to thrive. And so we started up the Future of HR 
um, awards and conference. And we did that with um, Careers24. And, and then that was about six, seven years ago. And then about three years into that, what we saw was that there was now this, this new emergence of organizations who didn't just have the right people, but were implementing technology. Mm. And, and so in this process of change, and for me, looking at myself and the organization, I realized that this was a great opportunity to implement technology within the organization ourselves but at the same time i'd realized that many so we'd implemented that things like salesforce and we'd paid for four years for a salesforce license that was a massive investment for the organization but we would got very little value from it um, and actually it became almost like a friction within the the company where no matter what approach i would use i found that the the team weren't really adopting it and so it, it was causing more strain on the business than benefit and so then I read a book um, called Exponential Organizations by Salim Ishmael. And again, I was reading a lot anyway. Um, and, and I think what, what happened all at once was this realization that technology is in many ways solutions and can help um, with organizations to get ahead. But the challenge is not necessarily the technology, it's the culture within the organizations and how do companies adopt it. And, and so I'd lived through that, you know, we'd, we'd personally invested, I had a, a, a big desire to implement these technologies and acquire them. So I'd bought them, but they weren't working. Mm. And so I realized that, that we were sitting at a time where South Africa had, you know, the, the, the exchange rate was down. My neighbor worked for Amazon. My next door neighbor worked for Amazon. He was one of the chief um, uh, designers there. He, he, he and a partner developed the Amazon World Services, the cloud computing software for Amazon. It's based in Cape Town. And I think from a lifestyle perspective, what we saw was this disruption, but also Cape Town was this you know, great place to live. It was cheap, but from a technology perspective, you could work remotely and it was desirable. And cascading with that, I saw so many South Africans leaving South Africa, going internationally, the Elon Musks, but not no general people, and really succeeding internationally and, and doing really well. But, um, you know, um, why do they have to travel overseas? Why do they have to help organizations overseas? Why couldn't they work in South Africa? Why couldn't they add value here? How could we create a system where we could embrace technology and we can drive South Africa as technology hub. So for me, it was really, it was like, wow, we, we've got these big companies who employ a lot of people. We can't afford for them to fail. At the same time, we've got these, these a, a huge amount of these entrepreneurs, um, these startups in the ecosystem. And, um, you know, how do we help facilitate the conversation with you know policymakers, with the big corporates and the startups. How do we bring this community together so that it helps each party, right? How do we supply services to society and solutions? How do we make sure we don't you know, that these big corporates don't fall apart? But at the same time, how do we get these startups and, and introduce them to some of these corporates and, and big organizations? And so Africa Tech Week sort of came around into as for me a big need of bringing these different communities together and i think what certainly i saw and experienced was i didn't even i wasn't even aware 
that the problem that was happening. So, which was that investing in technologies is really not enough. You've got to you've got to humanize it. You've got to bring it into as a culture. You've got to create a culture of innovation. Mm. So that's that's why Africa Tech Week happened. Mm. I love the the context there around um, you know inheriting this business from your dad and having and recognizing very early on that you needed to put your own DNA into the company. Um, and um, and I think that's a, that's a great lesson for many business leaders. If you're listening to us right now, it's like um, when when I um, five five and a half years ago when I <clears throat> was thinking about podcasting. I was like, why should I start a podcast, especially in South Africa where there's no listenership, no one even knows what the fuck a podcast is. Um, and, um, and then more broadly around the world, there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of podcasts. Why, why does the world need another one, you know? Um, and, uh, and I wrestled with that and I read some, I can't remember where it was, just in some internet site or something. Um, and, um, and it said there might be, Many podcasts out there, like you'll like, there might be many businesses out there, but no one will do a podcast like you because it's you. You're the one talking. So there's no way to, how am I supposed to copy Rolf Fletcher? How are you supposed to copy your dad? You know what I mean? And, and vice versa. It's impossible. So you have to bake your DNA into the idea itself, into the business itself, in terms of like what its North Star is. And your North Star, uh, you know, quickly became. Uh, technology, um, and for very good reason. You know, you were you were researching. There was this idea of exponential technology and four IR and all this kind of stuff, and um, and you banked on it. Um, and uh, obviously, you did your first event. Well, I say obviously, this is now we're talking about technology specifically. There's other you know national business awards and all this kind of stuff, as you touched on. But um, but certainly, technology in in the African context um, is is very very important. Um, and one of the great um, I didn't actually, funny story, I don't know if I told you this, we're going to share stories here, uh, but um, when the, I was actually doing a podcast and the phone rang and they answered it and everyone's scrambling because they're supposed to keep quiet, right? So, so the phone rings and anyway, so the podcast finishes and I'm like, I said to my creative director, I was like, who was that? And they were like, no, no, it's someone who wants to, us to enter these awards. So I was like, well, what awards is it? And, and you know, it's Africa Tech Week. I'm like, what are you talking about? Never heard a thing. Is it not like the bookmarks or the Lurries or Apex Awards? I mean, you know, I was, and I was like, it's probably a scam. So, 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 so I phoned them. I phoned your office um, and I spoke to the lady. And she, I was like, these guys seem to be legit. So then I was like, I hung up the phone. And I said, I said, right, guys, here's what's happening. And remember, we were like a sort of a, we had just pivoted to be technology specific as a company. It was really in like, it was like probably 18 months ago, maybe getting on two years now. Um, and uh, it was, I was like, shit, so if we're going to do this, right, we are going to win this thing, right? Like we don't come second, we don't come third, we not, we have to win this thing. That's what the bet, what's, what it's going to take. Um, and so long story short, we wound up, um, you know, flying down to Cape Town for the team there. And then we won this thing. And obviously I met you and, and many, many other amazing people from the technology community, not only from Africa, but also from around the world. And, um, I, you know, walked up on stage, won the whole thing. It was pretty surreal, right, to, to be acknowledged by, by an industry at such a young age of company. Um, but one of the things I didn't recognize at the time, and it only became transparent later, uh, in fact, when we were on stage, um, the UK, the, I don't know who the lady was from the UK SA Trade Hub, I forget her name yeah. now. 
Um, but um, she said to me, oh, can you tell me who's going to be flying to London? And I was like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like, no, 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 like the UK are going to sponsor your tickets. I was like, I don't understand. Anyway, long story short, it was the UK government's um, trade hub division, which is part of the Department of International Trade. And long story short, one of the biggest upsides for winning that award was network. It was just access to network. It was like, you know, even right now today, if I decided to push go in the UK, I'd be able to get in touch with Mark from the UK's DTI and he would do due diligence or they would do due diligence and essentially help us to expand over to the UK. Um, and it was just a, a, such an incredible outcome uh, for us as a company, for me as a, C, as a young CEO in this uh, young company. And, um, and I don't think that story really got told sufficiently. Do you know what I mean? Looking back in hindsight, I think, you know, I recognize that, te- as you do, that technology is a great enabler of many, many things here in, uh, in emerging markets. Um, and uh, the impact that, that your events had on us as a company, both from an exposure perspective. I mean, even yesterday, I was on the phone to Microsoft. So we've now, we're deeply entrenched within Microsoft in Africa. Um, mm. And uh, one of my clients actually said to me yesterday, well, but you guys won Africa's best tech startup award. That's still now mm-hmm. almost two years later, hey? So yeah, a year and a half, yeah. Year and a half. So, so it, it's just such an important point I want to kind of land with, with you, but also with our, our listeners out there and our viewers out there, um, is that the work that you're doing as part of Africa Tech Week is incredibly invaluable. It gives a, a platform not only to bring the different um, players of the technology ecosystem together, within South Africa, both in the public sector, the private sector, and then within the the actual startup community itself across all industries, health tech, agri-tech, fintech, you name it. Um, And then what it it also does, it gives us relevance on a global stage because when we went to um, uh, London, and, um, you know, we printed T-shirts, you know, we were Africa's best tech startup, it gave us relevance. People suddenly were like, oh, these guys must be legit. You know, what do you do if you've won this thing? You know, how, how, what exactly is Africa Tech Week? What exactly do you do? And, 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 and. And so it, is, it allowed us to open doors that previously were, would have been very difficult to open. So, um, so I just want to say, like, kudos to you for that. And I think it's a, it's a great job. The other thing I'll say, there was um, a friend of mine, Jason Levine. He did research into um, South Africa's tech e- ecosystem. And one of the key points that he made as part of his research, and he interviewed everyone from VCs to incubators to blah, 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 blah. And he landed on the key point. He said, no one is conducting the orchestra in South Africa. Everyone's trying to do their own thing. There's incubators, accelerators, you've got um, VCs, you've got um, you know, government-funded uh, entities and vehicles, and many, many other things, but no one's bringing the orchestra together. There's no conductor, right? And so we all like leave and we do our own thing, and, and so it actually be, it creates, to, the word that you used was friction. It creates friction within the ecosystem. And I think what you've, what you've done quite smartly, and whether you've done it deliberately or not, I'm not sure, we can get into it, but, um, but, but nonetheless, you've done it, right? You've started to conduct the orchestra, you understand by bringing the best thought leaders from like Salim Ishmael to the to the platform and many many others like him 
um, but certainly it's about this idea of conducting the orchestra. I mean, did did you find that that was that was that a deliberate part of your strategy, or did you, or do you, when in hindsight now, do you recognize the role that you play within the technology ecosystem here? Yeah, I've got shivers. Um, so thanks for that. So I think the intention always was partnerships and collaboration. I think we've been doing that for many years on our different uh, our various platforms, and so. Yeah, I think we definitely saw that. I think that we we built up a lot of trust and um, relevance in the industry in, in other aspects. And so, for sure, we see the future um, as collaborations and partnerships. And we see it as a scary endeavor for a lot of people, right? So we see a lot of startups. They they see big corporates is almost like the enemy, like they're the underdogs and they're going to take on the enemy and it shouldn't be looking like that because actually there's a lot of partnerships. And in many ways, corporates and government have the same view of each other as well. Um, and then startups aren't too happy with government. They're not doing enough. I mean, look at the current system, you know, no one's really happy with the other player, but actually at the end of the day, we need to be engaging with one another to really be thriving. And so for sure, and I think in my head, um, um, the initial idea was that we we're going to create something amazing, Africa Tech Week. So it 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 was something that I worked on for probably two years, and and I mean some funny stories. Probably four weeks before the event, and we were like, "Should we actually going to pull this off or not?" Hmm. It was it, we were it was close, right? I mean, we worked our asses off to make it happen. But I think at the event, it was really clear to me that it wasn't me that created the event is that you're probably right it was i was more the conductor it was the players and i think that that's where we see the future as well is i just see us as a a conduit for people to come together um it's for the people it's for the startups it's for the corporates for the policymakers. um i think we you know we see ourselves as just the vehicle to get people there networking talking collaborating so it is definitely intentional because i see that that's the most sustainable way um, it has to be for the community and by the community, um, or else it's just flattery. Um, and so that's definitely not our intention. Um, and yeah, I mean, going back to those awards again, it's the same story with the awards, right? Um, it's, it's amazing to hear the impact that those awards made on you but i didn't decide that you won i think that's the other thing the community did we have judges independent judges that decide that and i think that everything we try and do is trying to accelerate that community um and and uh, and in a year and a half what you've achieved is phenomenal it would be great to see or to 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 sort of look and how would your organization be without those awards and how is it with it and then not just within the last year and a half but looking 10 years Mm. into the future but i would imagine i mean i've spoken to a lot of our winners from different platforms as well as this but i think the biggest thing is that um the people that win they take on this big mantle now and actually they realize they're i mean it's great that they've won and they feel honored but actually what happens is we see that their their whole mindset changes and they take on a responsibility to the whole community to their team it's, it goes beyond actually just their organization and what they're doing. That's what we see. And I don't know if you found that as well, Matt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just so on the link to commercial upside. So with an award like that, uh, for me, it's a cultural thing. I mean, we were had, you know, and we, we were probably 
maybe 10 people. Uh, we're now over 30 in like 18 months. This is in a, a recession. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but, um, 300%. But, That's yeah, good. yeah. So we must enter again. I'm quite keen. <laughs> you can't vote Last though. <laughs> um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I think certainly it culturally it made a huge difference. I think it gave people credibility and, and also it gave me a CEO, I think in the eyes of my, of my ninjas, as I call them, uh, credibility at digital Kung Fu, because, yeah. Um, you know, when, when I sat everybody down one day in our tiny little office and I said, right, we now do demand gen for technology companies. They were like, what, what are you talking about? That's not what we signed up for. And I was like, yeah, but this is the future. Right. And, um, and looking back at that time, there was, there was uncertainty and I would joke with them. I said, well, listen, if this doesn't work, we're, probably, we're not going to have a business. I mean, it's fine. It's not the end of the world, you know, because <laughs> like you just, you just don't know, like you just don't know. And, um, and so, but we went for it and we went hard, hard and fast at that thing. And, you know, to, to this day, a funny story, also anecdotes is that to this day, so to enter the awards, you don't go and enter yourself, right? So you have to be nominated or something like that. Um, and to this day, I still don't know who nominated us. I still don't know. I look, and then when I still, for Alexis, my operations director, she phoned, um, phoned your office because I said to find out who nominated us because it must be someone that I've interviewed on the podcast or something and maybe, maybe, maybe. And they were like, no, 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 it's a judge. Yeah. So the, a judge has to nominate yeah. you. So then I looked at all the judges and I didn't recognize a single face. I was like, so how is it? Do you know what I'm saying? So, so we did something in the yeah. market that was so impactful and so unique and so different that it caught the, the whole attention of markets, both clients, even to this day. I, have, um, I go into meetings and I'm like, oh, do you know this thing called the lightning strike? And they're like, yeah, of course. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. Like our brand, uh, our brand, what's the word? Brand, brand awareness as a company is huge yeah. uh, in our sector. Um, and I think with your awards, it definitely lent credibility to our story because there are a lot of startups, but there's very few who are recognized as being the best. Um, and, and that really matters. And so culturally then, to go back to the thing around linked to commercial upside, culturally, you know, for me, a business is just people. Uh, and it's the culture yeah. that makes the business successful because it, every you know there's other companies that do lead gen, demand gen, and etc. like that. But but nobody can copy our culture. No, it's much. It's very easy to copy a product. Much harder to copy a culture. Um, and so the whole business is is, is incredibly performance orientated. And again, to your point, I think it's actually again like winning the award of being the best. You know, is a mantelpiece that people want to reach over and over and over again, um, and so that that for me is is probably where the link to commercial upside is. I mean, to measure it, you know, I don't know. I don't, it's a difficult one to say, but I think I can I can confirm for sure that um, that we we would have been successful anyway. But it was like uh, rocket fuel to the narrative of our business. Um, and you know, and it got us those early wins, you know, to the big, it got us into the doors of Microsoft and people like, Oh, 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 that's interesting. Never heard of this, you know, best. But anyway, point being is if people buy the story, you tell them first and then the product. And so it certainly helped us uh, unlock uh, doors and things like that. Um, so I wanted to kind of, um, change gears a little bit. So obviously with this COVID-19 story, 
Um, what's the mm. plan? I mean, for Africa Tech Week this year, is it? Have you given some thought into that? So obviously, we know a lot of B two B events have been um, cancelled, and um, you know, and that kind of thing. Is it? Is it a case of wait and see? Where, where are you guys at? Um, at this stage, where we have our our dates for September, mid September, fifteenth, sixteenth September. So um, we're speaking to speakers, and that's where we're really focused at the moment. Um, I think that um, you know we have looked at digital only solutions. If things stay as they are, um, which will not be the same as an event, uh, a live event, um, but I think it will add value. So we've got some possible solutions if things carry on the way they are, which is is a likelihood. So, um, you know, the worst case scenario that we see is possibly delaying the event to the end of the year. But, but at this stage, we're seeing that it will go ahead in September. Okay. Um, I think that... Um, yeah, I think what 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 this is doing is I think it's getting people. To, actually, one one of our speakers and one of our partners actually said, you know, it's funny, but you know, Africa Tech Week was driving a culture of innovation and and really how to how technology is disrupting everything. But I think what you found is that the COVID has actually mm. um, disrupted far more than what technology has, and a lot quicker. So, but look at us now, we're, we're doing this through technology that we probably wouldn't have been accelerated before. I've got, you know, sort of 65 people that work with us. You know, we were looking at different solutions in, you know, future of work, but every single one of those people are working at home. And, and within the space of a week, we'd, we'd sort of accelerate to something that would have probably taken us a year and a half to two years. And I'm sure it's the same for many, many companies. So technology has definitely been an enabler. And now we're dealing with how do we make that work better? Yeah, um, um, yeah. I think I just to echo what you what you've said. I think um, like I I interview a lot of speakers. I have uh, like even Sean Thompson yesterday. Yeah. He said to me, "Mate, I've literally lost." You know, it, it was I think he mentioned hundreds of thousands of dollars literally overnight. In, in like you were booked mm. to do this corporate thing, and now you're not. Um, because of COVID-19 and, um, and, you know, I've said this, uh, if guys have been following my, my social media, you would have seen a few posts of mine, but, but I keep saying like, you know, if you were in the event business, um, some people don't have a runway left, like they just don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and retail, there was a post by Yoko, um, in 24 hours, sorry, 48 hours after the president's second announcement about COVID, Small business transactions in retail uh, and healthcare dropped ninety four and ninety percent in forty eight hours. It like literally decimated entire industries. But but I, to your point, there's a the, what that's done is it's now driven demand, right, for certain types of services. So what Sean Thompson's doing is he's now gone online. So he's now pivoted his whole business to mm. cool. I can't do a face to face, but now they've built an online program that allows that's now actually scalable. Whereas before he wasn't thinking about scale. Right. So now he can produce this thing and actually now he can serve more businesses. He can commercialize it more than he was doing before. 
Um, you know, Rich Mulholland, I don't know if you know him. Uh, Rich uh, runs um, Missing Link, a speaker co- um, presentation company for like over 20 years. And now he, he had Talk Draw, which is a bunch of pre-built talks for leaders. And, um, and that was fledgling, right? But now with COVID, it's the hero. It's gone from fledgling to hero literally overnight. No. And so everywhere you look, yeah. there, like, like in the technology sector, um, you know, hardware, if you're in the, in the tin business, you are in massive trouble, right? Because of the mm. supply chain, basically. It's, it's screwed. Mm. Uh, and the risks there in a COVID-19 context. But if you're into um, the Microsoft's modern workplace, so Azure, Teams, um, Dynamics, all this kind of stuff, it is a high-value commodity right now because why? Everybody's working from home. And so cloud and scalability of computing and video conferencing and all this stuff is now, now the, the future. So, so as an example, budgets, t- travel and expense budgets, as an example in Microsoft, are being reallocated right, to marketing. So now we're sitting going, okay, well, what do we do? Well, we do demand gen, so we would get access to a large portion of those budgets. So in our world... Uh, in our world, the market isn't has it slowed down for like a little bit of maybe two three weeks, but actually it's accelerating. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so yeah. it, there is always a winner with this. You know what I'm saying? And to your point, it's like uh, maybe maybe September is a good time. Who who really knows, right? With this thing, uh, every yeah. every country yeah. is different. But but my point is is that this whole thing. Uh, COVID-19, it's forced permanence in in culture, in terms of the, the culture of businesses now in a, in, a remote, in a distributed workforce context, and it's enforced a new rule book or a new playbook that startups and event companies and all kinds of companies can take advantage of if they choose to do that. So for me, it's like never the end. So uh, I'm fascinated to get your view, like, um, and I know... Um, you know, with, as an events company, you would look to go online. But what? How does one tackle that as Topco Media? Like, what tools have you identified, and and can you walk us through? Like, how would you pull off an Africa Tech Week virtual version? Yeah. So yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I think that that there's for many years now we've been looking at how do we implement technology and, and like i said i think it, it wasn't the technology the technologies are there it's it was more around the culture it was around the people and i think that you know as humans we've got two and eight things one is we don't like change but yet we are the most adaptable race in the world so you know you put us into a difficult situation we are able to adapt um and so we don't even know our own abilities it's it's quite scary mm. Um, and so I think what we've done is we've placed in this now a cauldron right now, and and it's and it's dangerous, and people are worried. And, and I think those people who can create action and try things, and that's what we've always said. Like, you don't have to be perfect. When you started doing this podcast, it wasn't perfect. So it's now about trialing different things and and um, and challenging the status quo, right? So for us, we're um, looking at a number of things obviously podcasts is one webinars is another um live events we you know uh, digitally only and then we're we're looking post covid at live events with digital so we we see an amplification amplification of digital into our solutions 
So that's, I suppose, in a way, really exciting. I think what it's also done is, you you know, in this moment, you've got to really be able to articulate. You know, I, I think people aren't buying at the moment. So to go out and try and sell solutions in this moment is probably not the right approach. So it's really about then um, how can you help people? So what problem are you solving? And people have got different problems, but you've got to also be aware of your strengths and weaknesses. Like I was many years ago with my father. What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What can we do? What are we good at? And I think with Topco, what we've been able to really do is we've is we've been able to bring communities together. We've been able to bring the public sector together. We've been able to bring corporates together and the startup community together. And I think that what we're seeing more than ever is in this moment of change, it's going to mean that organizations who traditionally wouldn't even speak to each other, competitors, now merging or doing things together. So we're seeing the relaxation of the, the, the financial services where now banks can talk to each other about solutions for the customers. Now, that's a good thing. Um, so we're seeing like um, in, in, in um, some of the ride-sharing solutions, you're seeing Mercedes-Benz and BMW teaming up together, unheard of before. Mm. So you, what, you're, what you're seeing is this, this big opportunity of startups, corporates, and government now working together for solutions. You're seeing organizations who, who manufacture clothing now manufacturing healthcare products. So really this, this pivoting happening consistently now. So I think for Topco, what we do is we, we have a, a relationship with many corporates, government, and startups, successful ones. And so for us, our role is how do we connect those guys quickly? I think in these moments as well, what, what we're, we're all faced with is this is a new experience for everybody. So everything you've been through before was sort of practice day to the real event. So the people who get through this, there's not too much that they wouldn't be able to handle in the future. They'll be able to handle very stressful situations, leaning back on this. But at the same time, um, what, what people are looking for is solutions. And, 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 and so for us, it's about how do we engage with our community of people who are doing things right? So if you look at um, how organizations are dealing with COVID, I would say for me, one of the organizations doing well is someone like Standard Bank. They, before the president spoke, they relaxed um, and, they, and, they, and they communicated really effectively mm. with what they're doing with regards to financial relief for their customers. Um, and I thought they were bloody amazing, the way that they handled their publicity and their positioning. And so what you're going to find is a lot of organizations going, like, how do you do this or what do you do here? And I think for us, that's, you know, where we can help is by connecting people in a trustworthy environment of organizations who are doing well in certain areas because everybody's got different challenges and everybody's doing well in, in different things. So it's about creating that platform where people can engage, talk and find solutions yeah. to drive more business, essentially. Yeah, it's a great point here. Uh, in fact, there's quite a few great points here. The first one um, is uh, I spoke to a mass, one of, well, one of Africa's biggest distributors this morning, the CTO. And um, uh, I explain, I asked him, can you describe the mindsets of the company? And, you know, is it, um, is it business as usual? Is it wait and see? Is it, um, is it pull up the handbrake? And he's like, no, no, it's business as usual. 
And he says the only thing they've changed is that they've they've moved out of a sales mode and into a support mode. Um, and that's a great point that you basically landed as well. In that people aren't, I say people, Some deci- most decision makers one could make a clear point for, or argument for, uh, for is that they're not in the mindset of buying. So they don't want to be sold right now. They're figuring out what their new business looks like. So they're in a kind of a research and discover sort of mindset as opposed to a, I'm uh, looking and evaluating actual solutions. Do you know what I mean? Um, and um, mm. and so that that was a, a great insight for me in, in our space, but also more broadly around companies within South Africa and the private sector. Um, one of the key things that I feel you guys are doing a fantastic, or that you, you're kind of very well positioned to orchestrate, the orchestra again, is in this COVID-19 context. Whether you do it in September physically or virtually, it's the, it's the same job, I believe, that needs to happen. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because London Tech Week, one of the biggest things that uh, was glaringly obvious, like incredibly obvious, was how collaborative all the biggest technology companies in the world actually are um, in developed economies like the UK. Um, and so like we were walking around there and it was like it wasn't – it, there was so much knowledge sharing. It was ridiculous. Like half the stuff was like IP that they were like, look at this stuff. You know, it wasn't a case of, you know, oh, um, you know, we're thinking about doing AI. It's like, well, no, we've done this. Here it is. This is how it works. Look at this. Smart cities. Oracle did a smart city implementation or stand there. It was incredible. It was all made of logo, uh, Lego, not logos, uh, Lego. And, um, it was fully automated with smart sensors, the whole thing, and it was it was an exhibition of collaboration for me. Uh, it was really incredible, and 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 why it was so acute for me was that in South in, in South Africa, and I, I was, let's talk about South Africa. So in South Africa, it's not like that. There's a mindset in many cases that there's not enough. So if I if I don't if I don't own the thing, I won't do it at all. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah. and I, I don't know where that comes from, uh, but I can say that it was it was striking. Um, and to your point, now where competitors weren't talking to each other, they're almost you know if forced if to use that word maybe it's the wrong word but let's use it for now. So forced to work with competitors that before they weren't even weren't even prepared to share a boardroom with. Um, and so to your point, I don't, I actually agree with you in the sense that it's going to be business unusual for the, for the foreseeable future. Do you know what I mean? Like whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's RPA or AI or whatever it is, or blockchain or who knows. Um, but there will always be another label on the thing that we're talking about. And so in the end for, to remain relevant, it is about, um, working closely with your competitors, Microsoft did this with um, with IBM in the end, uh, Hewlett Packard. You know, and and if you if you do your research, you find that the greatest companies have all worked. They compete, yes, but they but they're also like part of a family. They're part of the same cloth. In South Africa, the banks you'll never see them take on or mention uh, like Standard Bank won't mention ABSA or any of the other banks because there's an unspoken rule that you cannot trash talk your competitor because it's bad for the category that you play in. It makes no sense. If I say to you that Topco Media is a bad events company, it makes all events companies look bad. Do you know what I mean? So it makes yeah. no sense. So, so this idea of collaboration is a, such an important one 
And so I wanted to kind of get your your view on on again. Let's talk about the 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 fintech ecosystem here, or maybe just the technology ecosystem in South Africa. But um, if we're all spinning our wheels here, and we're all worried to death about the runway that our businesses have, or maybe they don't, we maybe we don't have any runway anymore. We just can't see it, uh, you know. Uh, which is you know, and many many. Uh, you know, especially in retail, like Edcon's gone out of business. There's a whole SME, micro SME segment that's literally lost all of their runway and they didn't even know it, you know. So this is real. So for in that context, what is your words of wisdom or what is your hope around collaboration in the context of, you know, um, business sustainability and, and the threats thereof? Yeah, I, I think, look, our... I think why we have this challenge in the South African culture is a little bit to do with our history and a little bit to do with our where we placed in the world. You know, we're at the end of Africa, um, and so you know I think during apartheid, what we had is a very localized competition field. We weren't competing with the rest of the world, and that in a way brought about a lot of innovation, but it also brought around a lot of mistrust. And you know, you, you talk about it was almost a scarcity thinking there's there's only these people that we can serve and this is the area and we can't go outside it and therefore i need to hold on to my ip because otherwise you know there's not enough in the pie for everybody and i think look you're right i've I've seen it growing up in the uk there's far more collaboration sharing insight and a culture of giving your secrets away and actually I, i watched a podcast once and there was two guys speaking and, and they were talking around their secrets of success. And someone said, why are you sharing your secrets with everybody? And they said, well, well firstly, what we realize is 99% of the people won't even act on the things that we're saying. You know, some of the biggest things is action. It's great to have ideas and to be talking, but we need to act. And I think that, so that's the one thing. I think that, you know, you look at our ecosystem and then you compare it to, say, for instance, Israel. And, and, and the difference between the two is that they don't have more uh, startups or entrepreneurs. What they've done is they're not focused on their local uh, economy. The Israeli ecosystem is worth 10 times that of the South African one. And that's purely because they look globally. Their solutions are global solutions, mainly at the U.S. And so they have a 10 times impact. And so I think that what we're going to, finding ourselves is, is is looking more in an but we need to be looking more in an abundance opportunity not scarcity and we need to be looking outside of just south africa our solution i i feel that there's many many opportunities in south africa for startups and entrepreneurs and it's this really is that we you know we you know i've looked at many companies for within south africa and how they compete and there's a perception that business excellence, we must look at the Harvard Business Review and American organizations for insight into how businesses should be run. And I actually feel the opposite. I feel that examples of success are not in stable economies like the US with legislation, access to funding, and single language, high education, low unemployment, all those things. I think that that what we find ourselves in, in in a situation where we have a disrupted economy, we you know we make a plan where we make shit happen out of nothing, and I think organisations that succeed from South Africa and can go on compete globally 
they're the, the examples you want to look at and and marry. One of the things that we see, certainly what's happening with COVID and, 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 and many technologies, is that with Europe and the US, it's highly regulated. And in a highly regulated environment, what you find is innovation is stifled because number one, it's expensive. It also takes too much time because you have many fiduciary responsibilities. And so what we see is we're seeing more and more organizations looking to Africa and certainly South Africa and looking to South Africa as a place to test and measure new technologies and new solutions. And so the opportunity is really to marry and match with the big multinationals and using this environment to test and measure these new technologies. We are, we have, we have a very young um, population. We are far more mobile orientated than many countries in the rest of the world. And so you, we, we can look at the one side and look at the challenges and we can look on the other side as opportunities. And I think that that's possibly Topco, me. You know, we, we're trying to focus on the strengths that we have as opposed to our challenges or misfortunes. And I think that, um, you know, I was speaking to my son earlier because he's at home and, you know, what's he doing? And and he, he was saying to me, you know, he played football at three different clubs and the first club, the coach was like, you're not really that good. The second one, the coach said, you know, you, you got some potential. And the third one, the coach was like, oh, I really like the fact that you hustled everybody. And he said he got the, the far more motivation and inspiration from the guy talking around his strengths. And I think it's the same in South Africa, the startup community, the technology communities, we need to be looking at our strengths. And, and yeah, look, with the RAND depreciating, it makes it even cheaper for investors to invest in technology companies here. Yeah, well, we are um, laughing all the way to the bank because we get paid in dollars. So let that RAND run, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if everybody is, but, you know, it's one of those, I think it's one of those things that, if we, I think you're going to have to think differently, and I think you're going to have to look at the world in a different way than you did before. I think that's what's happening, and and you probably know what to do. Like a, a lot of us, we'll be reading stuff about the opportunities from technology, the fourth industrial revolution, and so now this is our chance to act on those things. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of ideas, and now it's action actually. You know, and we and and in this moment of crisis, it's the people who act now are going to be those who do the best. Yeah. Um, those who wait for the right moment are going to be left behind. The moment is now. The moment is now to act. This is the opportunity. That's a great point, right? Because we always like to talk change, but it's actually very hard to change um, as a company, especially when you have shareholders and you're motivated by the bottom line and shareholders, um, interests. Um, so people like to talk innovation, but in reality, they don't really want to. Um, and so, uh, but now it's like the whole rule book, as I said in the, earlier on is the whole, the whole playbook or rule book, um, has changed. It's like, well, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> like you won't be around. Like you, you will. You know what I mean. And and and. And obviously, that's very context uh, specific. But to your point, uh, the the time is now. The time is not tomorrow. Uh, the time is right now. You only have today. It's like do or do, but don't try. Because if you try, yeah. you're dead. You must do. That's. I mean, that's. Um, I sent um, 
I messaged the whole company this morning. I was like, that was pretty much my sentiment. I was like, I know it's been a tough three weeks. And also we got, we've just been slammed with work. So, um, you know, we're just fortunate. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. But, but you still have to do the work. You know what I mean? It's, it's irrespective. And it's hard to motivate yourself when you're working at home, isolated in a room. Um, and it's hard when you can't tap someone up on the shoulder. You know, the frequency of video conference calls that we have now as a business is ridiculous. You know, especially in the first yeah. week, you just sat on Microsoft Teams the the entire day, did not stop, um, yeah. and we've had to be ruthless yeah. now around our time. Otherwise, you lose the productivity. So, anyway, the point is, we, you know, we we've we we have had to adapt quickly, um, and uh, and many many businesses have done the same. And it's those businesses that have chosen to adapt to your doing um, this. You know call it what you want innovation or in new ways of work or modern workplaces or whatever uh, but call it what you want it's the ability to act on on the need um and to stop you know um and suppose to be clear around your motivations about why you want to do this thing um and so yeah, i think i think yeah. that's yeah go ahead yeah i think you're right i think that um i, I think that that it has been difficult for Everybody. I don't think there's one person um, that hasn't been challenged. And I think it's normal and natural as well. Um, and I suppose in, in many ways, um, it's it, we just got to get through these different processes. But I think we mustn't forget at the end of the day that um, many, many times you will see people, success comes in these moments of their biggest challenges. And I think for me, that's something I really want to just get across to as many people as I can, that, um, you know, if we can, if we can place this as an opportunity, then I'm hoping that will get them to that point of action to move forward in a positive way. And then knowing that, 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 Sometimes our thoughts are worse than reality. You know, 90% of what we think is going to happen doesn't happen at all. So right now, I think we're in probably the worst situation that we could be. So, you know, can it get any worse than this? I'm not thinking it can. So how do we make the best of this situation? Well, someone once gave me a great piece of advice. He said, Matt, nothing's ever as good or as bad as it seems. Um, and when you think that about it, very true. Yeah, when you think about it, well, it's not really that bad i mean yeah okay it's not ideal but it's not brussels as bad sprouts. but it's not as bad as yeah brussels sprouts. <laughs> i hate brussels sprouts so f- um, <laughs> boarding school yeah boarding school and brussels sprouts that's one thing i don't, don't go together no way uh but it's never as bad or as good as it seems and when you think about that and you think about all the um you know entre- well the, the aspiring entrepreneurs who listen to this show and they're like no it's a bad time to start well, we started our business in a bad time, you know. Um, it's never a good time to start a business. But I'll tell you, if you can build a successful business in a, in a, in a recession, like the one that we're having now, um, then once, if and when the market does turn, you will have a great business. Uh, because it's, if you can survive in the bad times, just imagine how good it will be in the good times. For sure. I think there's that, that, that situation. I mean, I suppose I worry about the startups that, like you're saying, you know, they've got no runway left of cash available. And, you know, 
you know, we've been in business 25 years and we've had those moments. Like this isn't, that's not a new thing, right? But there you've got to be creative and you've got to pivot quickly to those customers that you do have and, um, and, and try different things, right? So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know how to help each individual startup. What I can say is that, you know, talking to the VC community, that many organizations and entrepreneurs think they need money. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, th- a thinking that, you know, entrepreneurs or, or startups need three things. They need capital, they need knowledge, and they need networks. And I think one of the things that we've realized is that if you've got the right customer, then you don't need the funding because funding is only there as a runway to get you to you've got enough customers. Mm. And so it's about identifying and working with your customers or identifying other customers and maybe looking at things differently, giving them part of the action, um, getting them to take a, a stake within your organization. So, you know, there's, there's, there's new rules now that are going to come around from this. And I really do think that um, it's not the end of the world. We just have to think differently in place, you know, and really understand what the customer wants and making sure that we're delivering value for our customers. And so, you know, what is the job to be done? What, where is their hurt? Where is their challenge? How can you help them? And, and so it also creates this focus because some of the things you're doing maybe is not being monetized or, or it's not really adding real value. And, and so speaking to those customers, you're going to really find out quickly what is that is valuable to them and then really articulating that and then, and then making sure that that works really well. Yeah. So, you know, that would probably be my advice to those startups is go out and engage with your customers. I know you can't see them right now, but get on the line. Uh, speak to your customers um, and look for new business, look for new opportunities. You know, I think that, that what, you know, with, with Topco, we, in many ways, we're a sales orientated organization. We've sort of moved to a content organization, but from being a sales organization, I think what you realize is being fearless, picking up the phone and speaking to people. You've got nothing to lose right now. Like pick up the phone and speak to people um and and ask questions you know that would be my you know my thing get, get out there hustle um and even if you have to put so many businesses were doing one thing and they realized it wasn't working and then completely pivoted and they pivoted because the customer didn't need the one thing they were doing mm. they needed something else and they changed to that new thing and i think this is one of those moments yeah so, uh, Rolf, um, cognizance of time here. Um, let's uh, let's wrap this up. So, why do you conduct the orchestra? What? Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I think you know. So, I suppose when I was young, I liked football, and um, for me, if I was going to be good at football, I'd want to know what Messi or Ronaldo. It wasn't them at the time, by the way. It was you know Kevin Keegan. Gary Lineker, but you know, it would be like, what are they doing and how are they doing it? And when I was doing triathlons, it was the same thing. I, I was not looking at the next door neighbor, what they were doing in their triathlons. I was looking at the, the guys, the best in the world. And I think for me, what we all have different moments in our life where we have things that we're not sure of or we need some help with. And so I want to bring people together who both 
are looking to move somewhere and looking for some answers. And then people who have done that part of their journey, they've achieved certain things. And so they can help other organizations and they want to generally. And so that's for me, what gets me up is, is how do we make this economy and Africa thrive? Well, it's by working together, sharing experiences and connecting people to each other so we can drive more business. Um, and I think for, you know, for us, it's about creating a trusted network where people, if they trust, you know, it's like you, you work with Microsoft because they now have our awards and they probably know have Topco, they trust it. And therefore they, they then are able to do business with you. They probably were going to do business with you, but it probably speeds things up. And so it, accelerates business and confidence and and I suppose that's really what it's about you know hearing how our awards has helped your business and your team uh, yeah you know it gives us goosebumps that's what gets us up is, is helping organizations thrive and do better that's really I'll get up and go awesome Ralph well dude listen thanks for your time it's been uh, great to shoot the breeze with you the virtual breeze yeah man Cheers, Matt. We, we, we must connect when we're not locked in. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, we will. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be down in Cape Town in September. So let's, uh, let's hold thumbs for that one. Cool, man. We'll see you then. Cool, Ralph. Thanks, dude. Thanks for listening to the Map Round Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com